Welcome to the Men of Iron Podcast, equipping men for growth in your faith, family, friends, fitness, and finances. Check out menofiron.org to learn more about how you can get involved in or support the vision of changing a culture one man at a time. Thanks for listening. Here's your host, Chad Zook. Welcome to the Men of Iron Podcast. This is episode 78. My name is Chad Zook. I'm the host of the show, and in this podcast episode, I talk to Sean Bowles. He is the co-author of a book called Wired to Hear, and you'll see where we go in this conversation. We talk about how hearing from God is more normal than what we think, because God wired us to actually hear from Him. We talked about how to invite God into our work atmosphere, how we can actually partner with God in our career, finances, and business, how to hear God when you think you can't, and how God wired into us the ability to know the difference between instinct and intuition. That was an interesting part of the conversation. You're going to love that. Sean Bowles is a TV host, author, producer, and Christian minister known for leading conversations all around the church, entertainment industry, and in the areas of social justice. He is also an author of numerous best-selling books, including Translating God, Keys to Heaven's Economy, Breakthrough, Prophecies, Prayers, and Declarations, and Through the Eyes, of love, and in all of his spare time, he lives in Los Angeles with his wife and their two daughters, and they have dogs, a cat, and some chickens. So he's a busy guy, and on top of all that, he also has a podcast that has had 3.5 million downloads. It's the Exploring Series podcast, and that is on the Charisma Podcast Network. He is a busy guy, and yet even in his busyness, I found this conversation uh, just really light and and just fun and yet incredibly incredibly helpful so hope you enjoy this one gentlemen and here's to my conversation with sean bowles today in the podcast we have sean bowles you know because i just told you uh in the intro i told you all the amazing things that sean has done sean has carved out some time for us and for us as uh, the men of iron audience to sit down and talk about his new book called Wired to Hear. And you really want to lean into this conversation because we're going to dispel a lot of myths about hearing from God and specifically how we can even hear from God in some maybe spaces that aren't familiar to you in the workspace, even beyond the church spaces, but in home and in your workspace. So I don't want to give it all away, Sean, but I do want to say welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks, Chad. Well, we are honored to have you, uh, someone who is uh, really just been ministering for a long time in a bunch of different areas uh, of just really culture, whether Do it's- Do I look that old? Wait a minute. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you look younger than me, all right? Uh, so, <laughs> I won't talk about your age. You don't talk about mine and we're good. <laughs> so no, but I, I, really, uh, I really value all the things that you've done and really what you bring to the table to the kingdom of God. Thank so you. this this is a faith-based podcast. So we're just going to jump headlong into this, but I want uh, the audience to know kind of who you are and really what you're about and how you got into the the world of hearing from God would be great. That's probably like a lot of questions at once, but no, it's good. It's good. I mean, who I am right now, I'm, I'm a husband and a dad of two awesome girls, eight and six years old going on adulthood. I heard <laughs> I that. Like, you know what that's like. And uh, we live in an urban farm in Los Angeles, California. So my wife runs a small urban farm and does a lot of educating on uh, like TikTok and on Instagram and uh, does just 
in that conversation as a faith-based person is very unique. There's probably only 25 to 30 people that we found that are faith-based in the farming, agricultural, environmental space awesome. that are like influencers on social media as well. So it's really fun to watch her career. And then I have had a prolific ministry for 27 years, uh, 28 years now. I, I could retire maybe in a couple of years. I'm almost at 30. But <laughs> I was my background is I taught uh, at a lot of Bible schools and a lot of churches that were hungry for charismatic themes, you know, gets the Holy Spirit. How does church government work? And then also one of the big things that was across the lines of all denominations was talking about transformation, how the kingdom of God inside of us and our relationship with God impacts the world around us. Mm. And that's been one of my main threads. And so for me, hearing God can't be separated from that. It's like just been part of it the whole time, because mm. when you hear from God, it changes your options. It changes the options in your industry, in the environment around you. So uh, I, I love when it's that theme. I think I've been around a lot of the charismaniacs and a lot of the Pentecostals instead of Pentecostals, you know, it's like people who are a little crazy and there's always those extremes. There's extremes in anything we look at. And my goal is to help people to access and demystify so that these can be powerful gifts that Paul talks about in the Bible. And this could be a powerful way we relate to God because Jesus himself took it beyond just a gift of prophecy or gift of hearing God. He said, I'm going to leave. And the one who will come after me will teach you how to really know God's heart. He's going to teach you how to hear and listen and so for me, this is part of core relationship with God. We read the Bible, we pray, and we listen. Yeah, I think that that's a really powerful and needed message, just like we were talking before I hit record. It's just one of those things, I think, that there is a lot of, of mystic thought around it, hearing from God. And it's almost like people just kind of go into it thinking that only those who, who are in ministry vocationally actually hear from God. Is that something that you have, obviously, I know you don't believe it because I've read the book, but, but I know that that's, that's a, a common theme that people think. Why do you think that is? Well, I think a couple of things. One, one is that when we do story time at church, we don't always tell modern stories of people who are actively mm. in their faith, in their relationship with God, or seeing solutions in science or medical science or mm. seeing God provide an alternative in engineering or something else. Those aren't the stories we highlight. We highlight maybe missions or we highlight what's happening in a home group or that someone's sick and we need to pray for them, you know, maybe, maybe he's in the hospital. And so because it's not the stories we tell that God came or Jesus came to put the world right again, according to John three seventeen, mm -hmm. it's harder for us to believe that we have an active role of participation because when we go to church, it's a church centric view we're getting of Christianity, not a worldview. And we need to have a Christian worldview. And that's not to blame pastors or local ministers. They're doing their best just to build community and build uh, the kingdom of God in the, in the context of their local church. But we have to think about the big, the big world, you know, the world that's around us. It's not just the one that we affect because we're Christians at our home group, but the world that God affects because he created everything. And that's, there's been a disconnect between that. And there's also been a marginalization between the business marketplace community. And a lot of times the ministerial community, mm. you'll have pastors who only uh, manage a million dollar budget and they have people who are, who are managing $35 million budgets in their church that they have stacked chairs they don't have in the conversations of what's going on in impacting that, that, that economy that the church has. And so we have to change a lot of how we're doing church. And I think it is changing. I think there's so many groups that are, they bring on cultural champions now in ministries or in local churches, or they'll bring up a real CFO, like a real chief financial officer mm -hmm. who has experience in the past, not just somebody who 
It's like, I'll do it because I can balance a checkbook. But somebody who's actually saying, we have to financially forecast and we have to look at our cash performer in the context of a church and look at how we're building in our community around us proactively, not just reactively to tithing. And so I think it's just, we're coming into more spiritual intelligence when it comes to a lot of this stuff. And it causes us to think differently. Yeah, I think it does too. And one of the things I think that I found refreshing in in just kind of church world and uh, just really across the board is this almost an invitation to learn some leadership principles within the church. Absolutely. So, not, so I think you're, you were kind of speaking about that as far as the business side of it, of if you see a, a pastor who's trying to manage a whatever, we'll just say a, a theoretical $1 million budget, which is an incredible ministry budget, right? I mean, that's, that's a yeah. profound amount of money the best way that he can learn how to do that because there are more churches who are operating under a hundred thousand dollar budget. And yet why wouldn't he lean into somebody who's even in the corporate world who, who has similar values, of course, yeah. but lean in somebody who is, is learning how to manage a budget of 10 million or totally. 35 million. And they're, therefore they're not actually, you know, operating out of a deficit of knowledge. It's actually the expansive knowledge because I believe that God is speaking across the board to those of us that are his, right? So yeah. if that's the case, I think we need to kind of break down some of those preset barriers between business and church and leadership and, and all of those types of things to just really take a, a look and say, okay, are we really making an impact in the world around us? And what is a better way for us to do that? So yeah, I love that, Chad. I know that within your book in Wired to Hear, you really zone in on, I was really drawn to this, there's three mindsets. And I thought about it just a minute ago, because in the book, you talk about three mindsets. You say a kingdom mindset, a barbarian mindset, and a Greek mindset, which I think many times within, within church leadership, and whether it's on a board or a pastoral level or just a lay leader, I think that people don't necessarily have a kingdom mindset. But yeah. a mindset really, it determines that worldview that you're talking about and really what we do. It's really how, it's what we flow out of. So could you kind of talk about those three mindsets a, a little bit and then talk about why the kingdom mindset is so valuable? Totally. And I think, you know, being that this is a men's podcast, we understand these mindsets and how we can fall into them really easily. And if you've never heard this before, this is taught in Bible schools around the world. And so I, I learned this from there, but I applied it in our book to even how we look at the kingdom of God. But a barbarian mindset would be just, I'm going to get what I need at all costs, no matter who I have to violate to get it, who mm -hmm. I have to overcome. You see this a lot in Asian culture businesses where they'll do hostile takeovers and they never think about the people they're taking it over from. I mean, this is true of any kind of business. I don't want to pick on any racial group, but I've been, to, it's more tribal. It's like, mm -hmm. we're going to go this route. Oh, wait, we just screwed up a whole industry forever. We don't care that we disrupted it. We are going to buy you low and we're going to sell you high and we're going to do everything we can to do that. And so you see it a lot in the marketplace where there's no consideration to the humanity. There's only consideration for money. We see it happening in churches sometimes where people will, um, you know, ca cannibalize other churches when they start a church in their region, they'll get a better worship team and they'll get a better whatever else. And they just ask everyone to come, but they're not asking the world to come. They're asking mm -hmm. the other church members to come. And we see it happen a lot. And that's a barbarian mindset that just, you know, overpower, control, dominate. Mm -hmm. And this is the base nature of humanity. This is the nature of humanity without Jesus, without the kingdom, without God's character in it at all. Then we see the Greek mindset is I can learn and think my way through any problem. So my wisdom, my intelligence, what I know is going to 
be what I put my reliance on. And that's going to help me get through anything. And we know as Christians, and it's hard because we know this as Christians, but we don't always practice this, that we want a result that's beyond what my skill, talent, intelligence, education can bring me to. Hmm. Like God prepared me before time began for, to work with him, to do things with him. And if that's hmm. true, it's going to take cooperation, participation with him to get to a result that I couldn't do just based on, well, I accept salvation as a free gift. Now I'm going to work really hard and just you know, in my humanity, I'm going to try and bring him the best I can with my life mm -hmm. versus with the Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring him a result that he's worthy of that Jesus paid a price for on the cross. And so then the kingdom mindset is I'm going to do all things, not just for God, but with God, I'm going to walk with God and I'm going to spend my life, not just that God's my CEO, like the old kind of business mantra, mm -hmm. but God's actually my partner and I'm a co-heir and I'm doing everything for the sake of Jesus, getting his final reward on this earth. When he returns, I'm going to live my life in a way that's the world's not even worthy of because I'm going to listen to him. And that's a kingdom mindset. I'm going to see what he paid a price for redeemed for him. You know, the, the kingdom mindset, obviously that's the one that we want, <laughs> yeah. obviously. Right. Like, and we, that should be evidence in a mature Christian's life. It just should be to where, uh, but it's not always, you know, and I realize that maturity is one of those things. It's kind of like maturity based on what, right. So, yeah. so I understand the difficulty with that, but I think it's refreshing the fact that, that not, I, I think that, uh, getting beyond the, Hey, Jesus saved me. Now I need to, now I need to die for him. And, and yeah. it's like, now I need to kill myself because he, he basically, he died for me. And I think that's just a totally way, a totally wrong way of looking at the Christian life. That's not life. That's exhaustive. That's, that's not hopeful. It's, it's, you know, it's a life of lacking instead of a life of abundance. It, yeah, it's shame-based and it's performance-based. Right. And it's, a, I mean, the first thing that God ever did for, for humanity, we'd go over this in the book is that he gave Adam this, like Adam wakes up and sees God, right? He's formed mm -hmm. from the earth. His first thing he sees is God. And it's beautiful. They have this connection, this relationship that we all want with our father. We all want mm -hmm. with the people, you know, that, that we admire. And he has this relationship and then God's like, Hey, look at all this. Mm. let's work together. You're my steward, my son, mm. let's work through all of this. And you get to name animals and help steward the environment and do all this stuff. And so the first thing God ever did for Adam was give him a job to do with him because he knew he'd enjoy it. So we think heaven's going to be this place we go to and take an eternal vacation. Mm. And we're just going to be like sitting at the ocean, there's a sea glass ocean and like drinking Mai Tais, you know, whatever it's like, but the reality is that the, the, the eternity is actually, we get to work without toil. We get to work without the the pain of the painful parts of work. And so if you love your career here, if you love the idea of something here, maybe you're an author, or maybe you're a singer, or maybe you're an engineer, we're still going to need that in heaven. Like what would earth look like if Adam and God had just kept working together? How developed would it would have been? And so the Jewish way of thinking isn't that the world's all going to go away. The Jewish way of thinking is... And the Hebrew way of thinking is the mindset is really like, we're called to steward this until the Messiah returns. We know it's Jesus. The Messiah returns, then we give it back to him in a very redeemed, reformed way that we can then continue on into eternity by, you know, perfecting it, so to speak. And so he never, he never made anything to be destroyed. So when we have that mindset, that's not, not Hebrew mindset. Then we look at the earth as disposable. We could use all its resources. We don't mm -hmm. have to steward it. We can just do what we need for our lifetime. And it's not very legacy minded. When we talk to dads, when we talk to men, we're talking about like, how are you building your legacy for your children's children? Mm -hmm. How are you building the kingdom that way? And I think 
there's not been a lot of emotional maturity in how we talked about hearing God's voice. Mm. And you see a lot of people like whether it was over the elections or whether it's over COVID or these kinds of things, which I've made some mistakes and how I prophesied as well. Mm. We see hearing God's voice as certain prophetic personalities. And then we don't have responsibility to do it because no, that's the weird people. That's mm. those people versus actually in my relationship with God, when I hear his voice, I get the best result possible mm. and I become a better version of myself and I begin to emotionally and spiritually mature in a way I wouldn't without hearing God's voice. So I think that those are some of the things we're trying to form into people is some, some further identity that this is part of what you have the right to as a Christian. Yeah. One of the challenges I think that, that we have with that too, is when we talk about these mindsets, I mean, obviously the kingdom mindset is so inviting and, and if you can look from Genesis, fast forward all the way to Revelation, and people like Christopher Wright, the theologian Christopher Wright, talk about the value of creation care, because it's yeah. God's recreation with the new heavens and a new earth, and the same thing that God was, was inviting humanity into prior to the fall of Genesis 3 is now after, and the fulfillment of, of all the end time stuff, and then we get to the new heavens and new earth, and you get to the end of Revelation, it's bringing about the world that God intended originally. So totally. it's that, that work that God invited us into, again, that it isn't like some heavenly vacation that we just, you know, sit up there like angels, you know, and just kind yeah. of like float around the clouds. I think that we have things to do, but yet when it comes to our work and in the adjoining our work and faith, I don't think that we've been properly uh, discipled to, to really help people to have a mindset of, no, you're actually, when you go to work, you're an extension of what God wants to do in the world through your work. Well, I think it comes back to how, you know, modern Christianity is formed around performance-based ministry versus relationship. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times we think of worship as the five songs we sing at church on Sunday or listening to worship music in the car. So we villainize regular music and say, well, regular music that's about love and about relationships isn't as important as worship music. But when you go back to the early Christian faith, they didn't have worship music. They didn't, it wasn't one of the primary three things they did for a church service. No, no, no. They had Michael W. Smith back then. I don't know. They, no, they, they, they had Michael w. They did. Smitty. And, but when you, when you understand that it helps you because they looked at life as worship, what we do yeah. with God for a career in our family, as a husband, as a, as a provider, as a father, mm -hmm. these are our acts of worship. Romans 12, where it says, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Yeah. This is your act of worship, not thinking of yourself too high or too low, but off yourselves. And, and so I think when you deal with that, it's there's been such a separation between how we connect to God that that's why we don't expect to hear from God for our career or as a father, as a husband. We don't expect that because we think hearing from God is for the sacred things at church, which has only been around for the last 150 years this way, maybe the last 600 or 700 years, if you include the Catholic church as far as songs and then a sermon and then mm. maybe some sort of, you know, liturgy afterwards. It's like that wasn't the definition of church in the early Christian days. It was people who were having their lives transformed by discipleship, yeah. which happened in families, households, and homes. And so I'm not in any way attacking our modern sense of church, but I'm attacking the idea that the greatest expression of our Christianity lives through that. Yeah. The greatest expression of our worship in Christianity lives through our normal everyday life that's not compartmentalized, mm -hmm. where we're the same person at work, we are at home, where we're the same person at church, and where we pray and listen to God about all of those things, not just about one thing. And this is, I mean, this is Colossians 3.23, right? Whatever you eat, okay. whatever you drink, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. It's like, oh, what do you, whatever you do, what does that mean? That means whatever you do, to, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. And that's such an expansive verse that I think 
that we really need to lean into that and just allow that to permeate our spirit and just know, wow, okay, God is, he's inviting me into something bigger than what I even saw before. So then really faith doesn't become some compartmentalized thing and it doesn't become divided from the rest of the, of the human experience. It's pervasive into everything, which I think is, is incredible. In the book, you talk about uh, instinct and intuition also, and how in hearing from God and, and really on in the, the realm of wisdom, which I love that that chapter was was really good, um, and also with intuition, and you base it off of Job 38, 36, and this is what the verse says. It says, who gives, uh, who gives intuition to the heart and instinct to the mind? Again, Job uh, 38, 36 from the New Living Translation which I thought that was really interesting. And I really leaned into that section because I think that we need some clarity just as, as men, I think we need some clarity to know, okay, can I trust my intuition or, or are my yeah. instincts all affected by sense? Are they reliable or, or are they, or, you know, are they not reliable? So could you shed some light onto that? Maybe inspire some guys who are struggling, like, okay, they have a natural inkling, but they're like, I just don't know if that's a God thing or if that's like because of the fall. Totally. I think it's, it is funny because we think of ourselves as carnal before we think of ourselves as godly so many times. So we're like, I can't trust that. And yet most of the way that God speaks, I mean, the Holy Spirit, as far as Paul says in first Corinthians two, is that he lives inside of us and is relating the deep thoughts or the innermost Mm -hmm. process of the father inside of us Mm -hmm. to our thoughts. And then he says, and this is miraculous because the Hebrews were judged several times by God, where God says, do you have my mind that you can instruct me? Paul says, we have the mind or the perceptions of Christ. Mm. And so he's talking about, I'm not coming to you with wise and persuasive words, but I'm coming to you with the perceptions of Christ, with the supernatural thoughts of the Father. Now think about God, who doesn't live in time and space because he's too big for it, somehow calls us his temple and lives inside of us. Mm. And so in that, he wired us. That's why we call it Wired to Hear the Book. We, he wired us to be able to connect to him. And most of the way that we connect and most of the way the mature conversation happens, the more mature you get in relationship with your spouse or with a best friend, a lot of mature conversation doesn't take words. So when you're cooking in the kitchen, when you're putting your kids to bed, when one of the kids gets hurt and you have to do something, there's this instinct that takes place in parents together when they're partnering, where one gets the ice pack and one gets the medicine and holds them and one gets, you know, one calls for the ambulance, whatever it is. It's like there's an instinct where so much of what we communicate is nonverbal, yet we try to hold God to this very verbal standard where he's saying, no, I live inside your instinct, which is also your discernment. It's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I live inside of the way that I put inside of you the feeling of right and wrong, the knowing if this is going to be good for you and beneficial or not. And so we have the word to, to, to uh, balance that off against because sometimes we can go with our human desire. But I think sometimes we're so afraid as humans to trust our heart. When God says, I've given you a new heart, he's mm-hmm. given us a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. Mm-hmm. And yet we've been told by especially many religious, you know, revivalists of the past, you're an evil person with evil, wicked desires. Realize I'm a new creation in Christ. My desires are mostly good. I know the areas that I have sinful desires and I have to, you know, like if I, if I was an alcoholic, I wouldn't go to a bar to evangelize, right? I'm not stupid, but I might justify going to a bar if I don't have a right character built around my faith. Because I might say, well, even though I'm an alcoholic, I'm going to go ahead and go to the bar anyways, because God might meet me there. And because some people have made that mistake out of immaturity, we've now said, don't trust your heart. 
When the reality is that the average Christian man, if they begin to trust their heart when it comes to the issues of relationships, when they begin to trust their instinct when it comes to spending their time, when it spending their energy, spending their finances, and they say, God, I'm going to include you in this. I'm going to go for that gut check, that spiritual gut check to say, how do you feel about this? And I think you know, when you're a mature human being, you don't need to call your dad at 30 and then 40 and then 50 and say, what should I do about this? You might check in with them and say, what would you do? But you don't have to say, tell me what to do. When you're 12, you're like, dad, am I allowed to do that? Can I go to that place? And a lot of Christians are treating God like we're still six. And he's wow. like, no, 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 you're 30, young man. You need to actually make some choices. And we're saying, God, I'm shaking the magic eight ball of the Bible and saying, what should I do? Go this way or that way. And God's saying, I'm your father. And it brings me glory and great pride. When you make a choice out of the godliness I put inside of you, and you trust the discernment, the instinct and the intuition of your Christianity. Because when you do that, you make me look good. Cause no one, no father looks good when their child's codependent at 30. But man, when that 30 year old's making awesome decisions that was based on, you know, their life of growing up with their parents and people go, you know, to the parents, how did you do that? How did you, how did you raise them up? And we want God, the father to look so good on the earth that, I mean, Solomon Hiram says, who's King David's best friend says to Solomon, he says, surely your God loves his people. And he's a good God because he raised up a man like you. Hmm. That's the report we want, which is people look at us and go, man, you make good decisions with your, with your marriage, with your kids, hmm. with your purity. You make really good decisions. Surely your God's real because I know and maybe they've seen you struggle through the years and you've all of a sudden now become, you know, a, a, a healthy version of yourself in some area. And they're going, I know who you were here and you're not doing that anymore. And I love the fruit of your life. I want to become like that too. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's this place inside of us that has to begin to trust that God's put his nature in us. And so when we get that feeling, when we get that check, when we get that sense that we have to begin to start to put weight in that and trust that. Hmm. Yeah, there's, I think the shame component and just the peer pressure component of that within uh, Christian men specifically of just saying, I'm doing this because God told me to. I think that there's so much like at stake there. And even if they're, they're absolutely convinced that God's, you know, that they leaned into God and God said, yes, I've, I've put this in you. you. You have the mind of Christ. This is what I'm telling you to do. This is, this is yeah. the thing for you. This is living out your destiny. I think there's such a, a peer pressure to actually vocalize that. So I think a lot of men actually live small and they downplay that voice, fearing that they're going to do something wrong. How yeah, could you encourage so that wild. guy? Like if, if I just explained, you know, the listener right now, and he's like, man, that that's my life. I'm just, I, maybe he has this decision that he knows that God wants him to, to make and, and to do and to commit to. And yet he's stuck because he's afraid, man, if I vocalize this, you know, I'm going to be cast out. My friends are going to say, you're crazy. Maybe, maybe even goes forward and talks to his wife. And, and she's like, I just don't know if that's the voice of God. That might be Satan. What, what do you say to this guy to encourage him to take that step? Well, I, I think you're going to have to at some point take some risks and take some steps. And it doesn't mean violating people in your life or bulldozing someone or whatever. Mm. We're not barbarians. We're kingdom mindset, which means we're inclusive. Mm. But it could be maybe you're trying to make a career move, like saying, I'm not happy with what I'm doing. I feel inside of me, there's something else before time began, God prepared my life for good works, mm -hmm. according to Ephesians, you know, too. So like, how do I, how do I make that decision? How do I follow that now that I'm feeling that inside? Mm -hmm. And you're going to make some mistakes. Now there's a difference between sin rebellion and sin immaturity. Sin rebellion is like when you're like saying, I'm going to smoke these cigarettes, even though, you know, 10 years in, even though I know that this is going to cost me 
energy, life, time with people, whatever else. Mm. And I'm just going to continue to do this. I'm not going to ask for help. I'm not going to try and quit. Mm. I don't care. Versus the person who's like, oh my gosh, I grew up with cigarettes addiction in my family and I'm now addicted and I don't know what to do with this. I'm trying to lean into God and I'm taking some programs and I'm trying the nicotine gum patches and I'm doing everything I can. Mm. God is looking at your effort and saying, I will reward that effort with my grace. But the person who's rebellious, it goes, it doesn't really matter anyways. I don't care. Like I'm heavily addicted to smoking. My friends smoke cigars. This isn't a big deal. And they justify. Mm. That's rebellion. That's your heart saying, I don't want to become better. I don't want to become different. But the person who's addicted, who's there. And so we think a lot of times we're going to make a mistake. Like, you know, a lot of people have gone bankrupt during COVID. And as a man, a lot of times when you go bankrupt, you feel like it's the end of part of your life. Like you mm. feel like you feel like you've had that sin of failure, like the man who cheated on his wife. It's like the same shame. You know, and, and the reality is that you've made a mistake based on a series of, you know, decisions you made. And also there might've been some correction in the economy. There might've been some things that have happened around you that are outside of your control. And you can only take responsibility for what you made mistakes for. And you can grow from that by looking at those. And God looks at that and says, Hey, I love you. And I will build a place of redemption and the areas that I can't restore. Maybe I can't restore your business to you, but I can redeem it by having you learn all about your business and learning about the mistakes and the, and the, and the benefits. Hmm. And let's do it again. Or maybe he can restore it and say, you think it's over. I'm actually going to restore this business and, and make it work mm. again. But those who are not connected to the fact that God is good mm. and he is working for you and with you. And if you, if you humble yourself and say, God, I'm just, I'm trying and I know I'm going to make some mistakes and that you're not looking for perfection. You're looking for willingness. And any man who's listening to this podcast who hasn't read about the life of David recently, mm. read about David again, because it'll give you so much faith or the life of the disciples. Like God purposely didn't put in strong examples as disciples of perfection because he knew we would have failed right away. Mm -hmm. We would have been like, say, you don't measure up. But he put in people like Peter who was still like, even after Jesus just restored him, after he had mm -hmm. failed miserably and denied Jesus, and Jesus just restores him and starts to tell him, this is what you're called to. Peter gets jealous towards John and goes, well, what about him? <laughs> so even in that moment, like I look at that and go, thank you, Jesus, for Peter, because I'm, I'm a jerk or substitute, bad word mm -hmm. all the time. And I'm learning how to be a better person. Mm -hmm. Thank you, God, that I'm not disqualified. And so I think, you know, in a lot of that, church services we go to, there, whether you're in a denomination where you have to repent again and get born again again, or whether you're in a denomination where revival equals repentance, so you have to feel really bad about your, you know, your sin. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we don't focus on what has God put in me that's redemptive. This is where it takes hearing the voice of God. What's in me that's redemptive that God's looking at? He's not looking at what I'm not doing right. He's not looking at what I'm, you know, the decisions that I made in my, in my past and saying you're disqualified. He's looking at himself that he formed inside of me and saying, that's what I want to pull out of you to grow. And I'm going to sow into that. And, and if you'll surrender your, your, your bad nature to me, your sinful nature to me, you're going to find that a lot of the things that you didn't like about yourself, like your stubbornness is actually a gift. And right now it's not a gift because you don't have character built around it. So you don't like yourself when you're impatient and lying mm. and you're stubborn when your wife talks to you. But as I build the right strength and character around that with you, as you say yes to me, you're going to love that stubbornness because it's going to keep you involved in opportunities that mm. other people will quit. And it's actually going to be your success. And I think we sometimes mistake because of the immaturity we have or the lack of character we have around something, we mistake part of our nature as sinful. That's not sinful. It's just we're we're operating with a, the sinful part of the carnal part of us in a strength that God has for us that he wants to actually build character around. And we actually have to thank God and say, God, thank you that I'm, I need to learn how to be patient, but that you've given me a drivenness to like move past things not everybody has. And sometimes that looks like this when I'm displaying weakness.
you know, I was reminded of, of the philosopher Dallas Willard. He said, grace is, grace is opposed to earning, but grace is not opposed to effort. So mm-hmm. grace itself is, is not opposed, or yeah, excuse me, it is, so it is opposed to earning, meaning it's, it's un, the unmerited favor of God. You can't do anything to earn it. However, it, it is not opposed to effort. I mean, doing the things that God wants us to do, totally. we can't just, you know, we don't just commit our lives to Christ and then just be put on some divine escalator, right? And it's just like, pff, it does all the work for me. God's going to put me exactly where I need to be. He wants us to, to trust him. He wants us to be able to hear his voice so that if he wants us to pivot in a certain way, we pivot when he says pivot. And when he wants us to rest, that we listen and we rest, or he wants us to maybe go a little harder, he, you know, that he will, he will speak that into us. I think, you know, that's a, a big challenge for us. And I think you just kind of broke down a lot of the problems that men face. I think there's another problem that, that men face, and you actually mentioned this on a podcast that, that I listened to, the Man Camp podcast. Oh, and it's, it's a great the, podcast. Those it is. Awesome. It's the men's ministry uh, podcast connected with Jesus culture for those uh, in the listening audience. But it was really interesting. They, uh, the person who was, who was hosting this show asked you a question about men hearing from God. And you, you alluded to this, whether it was him or you said something like, typically women hear from God faster or easier than men. So I don't know if this, if this rings a bell. They think they do. That's, I I mean, men think that that's true. The truth. So yeah, I love this point because the reality is like, you know, women are, are trust their instincts more than men do right away, especially when it comes to um, uh, emotional matters and heart matters. They'll try. It's not every woman, but it's not a gross generalization though, to say that. And uh, men, a lot of times think that what God's going to talk about is going to be emotionally driven. So they think, they think God, the first thing God's going to say to him is, I love you. And they're going to cry or something. And so, and if they can't relate to that, if you're not a words of affirmation person, or if you're, if you're, you know, if, if you think it's all about words of affirmation, it's not going to matter to you if you're not that words of affirmation person anyways. But what God talks about is the, the cares of our heart. And he talks about the cares of our life, the cares of our heart and the cares of our life aren't just the emotional nature that we have to build up. And so a lot of times men think God's going to talk about one thing, but he's actually talking about all things. Mm-hmm. And so when, when I get together with men specifically, and I've done this, this coaching thing I've done where I teach men how to listen to God, especially business leaders, um, I'll sit down with them and I'll say, tell me the last five big wins of your life. You're going to write about the top of five pieces of paper. So it could be a win in your marriage, a win with your children, a win in business, a win in mentoring somebody or in church. It could be whatever it is. And usually they're religious the first round. So I have to like cross it out and say, no, 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 be more specific. Mm. Like when was the last time we got a raise? That was awesome. That you were just like, I can't believe this happened. Or when's the last time, you know? And so one particular man that I did this with just recently, he said, I got into a college I wasn't qualified for. That Mm. was one of my biggest wins of my entire life. Another win I had was my wife and I couldn't get pregnant. And we ended up having a baby biologically and then adopting a baby. Another one I had was, um, that my business partner that I have now, I had three bit bad business partners in a row. Now I've had a good one for 10 years. And it's like, I won the, the business partner lottery. So he's sharing these wins. And I said, okay, we're going to take one of these wins. Let's take eight. We're going to do each one of them, but we're going to take one first to college. How did you get to that place? Because mm. you're giving God glory for these wins. How did it happen? Well, I mean, my friend was working in the, you know, um, behind the scenes and said, I feel like you're a good candidate for this, even though you, you don't have the same um, qualifiers. I feel like you're a good candidate. I'm going to bring you before the board. How did you meet that friend? Well, in church three years before, did God speak to you about this at all? No. Okay. So how do you think you got there? Well, 
and three years before when I was in the church, you know, that we met and my friend, um, he was going through a really hard time in his life. And I invited him out to lunch and I ended up praying for him. And I prayed for him, really opened our hearts to each other. It was like, we were best friends, even though we didn't really know each other that well. And we just spent some really quality prayer time speaking to each other's lives. I said, so God developed a history with somebody that works in tuitions of a college you needed to go to. And you can't see the prophetic parallel journey in that, how God led you from one point, point A, let's go through all the points. So we wrote down, met him at church. That's a divine providential moment. Thank you, Jesus. Had a heart to spend time with them. That's God speaking to you. That's your instinct talking. Hmm. You had no idea it was going to lead to this, but that was your instinct. Why would you spend time with this guy? Out of all the people in the church, did you like him more? Did, did you have natural chemistry? No, I actually had no chemistry with him. Okay, so you, you went off of your gut and off of your prayerfulness. You just didn't look at it that way. Oh, yeah, I totally did. Okay, so then you spent time together and, and it felt like you were best friends. So you recognize the Holy Spirit brought an advanced friendship over somebody that normally takes years to build with. Mm. That's a prophetic moment. God did something. That's something you could look for because you could see these are patterns. Like, mm -hmm. like that instinct when you first met that guy, you could look for that again. Ooh, this is like that moment. Or wait, I feel like a level of friendship with this person that I'm doing business with. Ooh, this is a God moment. Like you could start to recognize when God's presence or when his voice or when his heart is there. And after doing this with five sheets of paper with about five things on each piece of paper, this guy realized I hear from God all the time. I actually know when it's a God moment, I actually know how to recognize and I can see patterns in about three areas of my life I've never looked at before. I've known them, but I've never articulated it. So I've never known how to be proactive with this area again. And so by reverse engineering great opportunities that had happened in his life, he realized I actually can produce greatness with God that each one of these, there was only one opportunity that was hard to find God in at first until he told me when he was, it was the baby one because they went through all the medical stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he was like, well, I mean, it just felt like a medical opportunity and I still can give God glory for that, but it didn't feel like I ever heard God. I said, well, did you ever have a point in your life where you wanted to have children? Yeah. When I was little, all I wanted was children. So what happened in that? Like, did you ever pray, pray about that? Actually, God showed me, I had dreams over and over myself holding a baby hmm. and I, uh, and I can look at that. I know that was God because it's not normal for a little boy to have that many dreams of having babies in their arms. And I just mm -hmm. knew I was going to have children. So did you ever when you were praying about having children, did you ever bring that dream up to God again? Yeah, you say almost declare it. Like God, you showed me when I was little having a baby. I said, do you think that God put that dream in you and then gave you faith through that dream for his dream? Or do you think that was all originating with you? Hmm. No, it wasn't originating with me. So it's still a prophetic moment because it didn't originate with your thought, your will, your desire, right? So I think that's when we go into it. We learn how to see how God's already been in our life. Even if you've only been saved for two years and you're listening to this, God was always... As long as you're, you have breath in your lungs, he was always trying to relate to you. And always, now as a Christian, we have an abiding sense of God's presence internally, not just externally. But there's moments that God came to you and dropped on you before you were saved. Maybe was, he saved you out of a car accident and you knew you should have died or you knew you should have been injured and you weren't, a motorcycle accident, whatever. And you look at that and you go, wait a minute, I knew I had something to live for. That's a prophetic moment. Hmm. And then when you once you start to understand that, when those moments come, you go, okay, I need to participate right now because I, I sense this is one of those moments. This is a time. And it becomes a pattern or a regular occurrence in your life versus, you know, 20 times on four sheets or five sheets. It becomes, this is actually a, a lifestyle where I'm learning how to, it's, you know, if you, I look at bowling sometimes with my kids, you put the bumpers on either side and the ball is going to get there. You just don't know how it's going to get there. It's going to bump here and there. Well, life is like that. All of a sudden you're like, I think this is God. Wait, this, oh, I see it now. Oh, wow. That's how I got the strike. I saw him here. I saw him here. I saw him here on this side and this side. 
And then you once you see that enough, we're intelligent enough to where we learn how to see the future, we learn how to see with God over the next decision we're making or the next process. And it applies to family, it applies to being a dad, being a husband, all these areas. I don't want to win without God. So if I'm winning, I know it's God because I'm not, I mean, I look at Sri in my, my life, my wife and I, we laugh because we're like, we would have never let ourselves where we're at. And we would have never had the benefits of where we're at in our own strength or just mm -hmm. making great choices based on our faith or based on just good Christian principles. Mm -hmm. We needed the leading of the Holy Spirit and thank God because we have a pretty epic life. We really love our life. And we, um, we, we not, we don't say that like uh, out of a self, um, a self establishment. We said because we would have never got here without God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that, you know, with that, I think a lot of guys are going to be helped by you clarifying. I love that story that I would kind of tee that up. I was hoping that would be the story that you would tell because that's the story that you told in the other podcast. Because to me, that's really how I want to wrap today. Because we talked about a lot of principles. We talked about some scriptural base, you know, scriptural basis. We talked about the heart. We talked about the mind. We talked about being able to hear from God. And then we just cemented it. And men, if you were to maybe just do what Sean just said and just take that that practice that he uses in his coaching practice, write down the, the list of, of those interactions, the, the big moments in your life. And if you sit long enough, I just believe that what you're going to see is you're going to see a common thread of God's activity. And here's mm -hmm. the thing. And just I want to inspire all you men out there. Faith inspires faith. And sometimes you get inspired by your own faith. Thanks for coming on the show today, Sean. We've really, really benefited from this conversation. I know many men will be helped by it. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here, Chad. This Men of Iron podcast is brought to you by Men of Iron. If you're interested in getting involved in or supporting the vision of changing a culture one man at a time, or you simply want to know more about our Strong 27 mentorship experience, equilibrium retreats, Anchored Man video series, or Men of Iron Plus, go to menofiron.org.